few weeks ago it was Ascension Day and uh, I preached this sermon on that Sunday and I, I thought it would be helpful to look at the Ascension because it's something that we don't often look at in church despite its importance in the scriptures. So that's what we're going to do this evening. And to, to start us off this evening, I want you to think about those films or those books, mainly films I'm thinking of, where uh, there is a character that gets to see an alternate future where something hasn't happened. I'm thinking of things like Back to the Future or It's a Wonderful Life or A Christmas Carol, uh, where a character and the viewers along with them are able to see the consequences of something that they've done and they see what would happen if they hadn't done that thing. They get to see the full consequences. Now, what would happen if we applied that sort of thing to the Christian faith? What would be the implications if Jesus hadn't died at the cross? It's a terrifying thought, isn't it? We would be uh, still under the curse Oh, break, for breaking God's law, our sins would not have been dealt with. Uh, the just wrath of God, uh, which is stored up for rebelling against him, would still need to be poured out. Guilt and shame would hang around our necks, leaving us without any hope at all. And we also know the implications of not having the resurrection. Uh, Paul uh, has to deal with this issue uh, when he writes to the Corinthian church, and he tells them in in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, If Christ had not been raised, our preaching is useless, so is your faith. He goes on to say, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's clear, isn't it? We cannot have Christianity without the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's like having a, a, a burger, if you can imagine a burger, hope you're not too hungry, and uh, without having the uh, meat, without having the cheese, without having the lettuce, it's just not really a burger, is it? But what about the ascension? Is that necessary? Now we can sometimes think of the ascension as a bit weird. Jesus uh, soaring through the clouds, our point of reference for it uh, is maybe something like Superman or an alien being beamed back up to his spaceship. Uh, we also don't think why it's significant. But our discomfort with the practicalities of it and its significance mean that we don't dwell on it. Yes, we say it's part of the story, of course. But my challenge this evening is do we see it as integral? Does it matter if we don't mention it all that often? Or do we need to remember how important it truly is? What if I told you that, uh, to go back to that burger analogy, that if Jesus coming into the world is the top half of the burger, then him leaving in the ascension is the bottom half of the burger. And soon we're doing away with the whole meal, aren't we, if we start taking things away. There's nothing left if we start taking things away like that. So what if Jesus hadn't ascended to glory? What would have been the implications? It would be catastrophic. 
There are uh, only a few verses that talk about the ascension. And even when it's not mentioned explicitly, it assumes its central place. Uh, When you read the creeds, which summarize the Christian faith, uh, the early Christians always mention the ascension. You see, it's the hinge which connects uh, Christ's earthly ministry and his work through the church. Uh, So what I want to do this evening is take five... Uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes, there's going to be five things that I'm going to say. Uh, and if you're um, desperate for me to stop speaking, then when I get to number five, it will be, we'll be nearly done. Um, but five simple yet vital things that would change if Christ had not ascended. Okay? So five simple yet vital things that would change if Christ had not ascended. So the first of these is that Jesus would not be Lord. If Jesus hadn't ascended, then he would not be Lord. Uh, Look at verses 9 to 11 of Acts 1. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of heaven, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, there are around 800 lords in the UK. Uh, They include uh, Ian Botham, who was famous for hitting a ball quite hard. Uh, Alan Sugar, who was famous for firing people on TV. And Evgeny Lebedev, the son of a former KGB officer, Um, just looking at those list of names, you can see that being given the title of Lord in Britain today comes with privileges and responsibilities, but it's often about uh, who you know rather than what you've done to deserve that. It's about connections, family heritage. You could, uh, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But what about when we call Jesus Lord? It's not only a mark of respect. Uh, sometimes the term Lord is, is, is just used in the New Testament to show reverence to someone. But in this context, the fact that Jesus is Lord speaks of Jesus' complete authority. That he reigns completely. That nothing happens without his permission. Uh, when he ascended, it was a confirmation of his lordship. Uh, when we read Luke's account in Acts 1... It's supposed to invoke an image that was very important to the Jewish people. It was supposed to make them think of Daniel chapter 7. This is what those words say. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. We see the fulfillment of these verses as Jesus ascends upon the clouds. He is given authority and glory and power. If Jesus had remained, we would not have seen this wonderful promise realized. 
So what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, one preacher puts it like this. I think this is wonderful. That means that the Lord Jesus Christ is the origin and the destiny of every object you have ever seen. Every person you have ever heard or encountered. Every idea you have ever contemplated. He is the past, the present and the future of everything and everyone you will ever touch, see, hear, smell or taste. And of many more that you will never know existed. Furthermore, God's plan for the whole universe, including you, is to bring it all under Christ's rule. What a mind-blowing thought that is. You may have woken up this morning, like most of us woke up this morning, thinking that we are at the centre of the universe. And that nothing happens without your express permission. But all things happen because of Christ, through Christ, and for Christ. Remember the words in Ephesians 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's a comprehensive description, isn't it? You see, with Christ's ascension came his coronation. And it was far more wonderful, more exciting and more glorious than any coronation that we can imagine or may have recently seen. It was the exaltation of the Son who had accomplished everything that his Father had asked him to do. Christ was enthroned. So that's uh, the first thing. Uh, The second thing that wouldn't have happened if uh, Jesus had, uh, hadn't ascended, would be that the Holy Spirit would not have been sent. The Holy Spirit would not have been sent. Has anyone said these dreaded words to you? Uh, trust me, this is for the best. Trust me, this is for the best. Maybe uh, when there's been a, a conflict or a, a difficult um, disagreement or a, or a breakup or someone has been told that they're losing their job or moving to another team people often say this in order to deliver um, bad news they're trying to reassure the other party that what lies ahead is better than what's been before and they say uh, in that moment you, you might be struggling to understand but this is for the best and you're just thinking to yourself how could you possibly know what is best for me how could you possibly know what's... Did I turn my... Yeah, I did turn my mic on. Um, surely uh, you shouldn't ha- be able to comment on such a thing. Why can't things happen like I want them to happen? Surely that would be better. Well, Jesus says something along those lines on the night of his arrest. He is given the most bitter and brutal news that the disciples could possibly imagine. They're about to say goodbye to their teacher and their friend. He is about to suffer and die. So what does Jesus say to them? Well, he says, uh, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good 
that I am going away. His disciples are, are dumbfounded. Why not just stay? You've only been here with us for three years. That's not a long time. Why not stay a bit longer? There were so many things that they hadn't yet accomplished, they were thinking. But Jesus says to them, it's for the best. He says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus wasn't lying when he told them it was better that he left. It meant that the Holy Spirit would come in power. You might be thinking, why couldn't Jesus and the Holy Spirit just work together in partnership, in tandem? Why did Jesus have to go in order for the Spirit to come like he did at Pentecost? Well, it's because the Spirit's work is not to draw attention to himself. The Spirit is a spotlight on the things that Christ has done. And the Spirit wants to draw our attention towards the finished work of the Lord Jesus. The fact that Jesus has lived perfectly, has died for our sins, has risen triumphantly and has gone to be with the the Lord, has ascended to be Lord. If Christ doesn't ascend, then the Spirit can't proclaim the whole of the glorious story. The Spirit coming is also what allows everyone to have the communion with Christ that the disciples had enjoyed. Now, of course, the disciples were gutted. They were so sad that Jesus had to leave. But they were the ones that had enjoyed the Lord Jesus' presence. They were the ones who had seen the miracles. They were the ones who had been comforted by his words. They were the ones who had been awestruck by his teaching. But while Jesus was limited to his earthly body, his presence for the disciples meant his absence for everybody else. No one else in the first century could enjoy him like they enjoyed him. But when Christ ascended and the Spirit came to dwell within the hearts of Christians everywhere, it meant that everyone had that very same joy and knowledge in Christ that Peter, James, John and the others knew. It was freely available for all believers at all times. That meant that the Spirit not only dwells within Christians in Judea in the first century, but throughout history and throughout the world. Through the centuries, the Spirit has been uh, at work in every Christian who has ever lived Uh, by the pouring out of the Spirit, and is now indwelling within every Christian here this evening. So that's the second thing. Thirdly, we would have no one to pray or to advocate for us. Um, We often say that Jesus' work was finished upon that cross. You may sing the, the City Alight song, it was finished upon that cross, and it was finished in many ways, in the sense that there's nothing that we can do to add to our salvation. But now that he has risen from the dead and has gone to be with the Father, it wasn't in order that he could retire. The Lord Jesus is still at work. So what is Jesus doing right now? When we acknowledge what he's doing now, it will surely encourage us as we live out our Christian lives. Because one of the things that he's doing is advocating for believing saints. 
But even though they still sin, they have the perfect righteousness of Christ. This is what John says in his letter. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, that's all of us, isn't it? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. You know what that means? That means we've got a representative uh, pleading our case before the Father whenever we fall into sin. He's not pleading, oh, he's a, he's a good person, really. He's not talking about our good behavior or our merits, but he is pointing to himself and his perfect righteousness. The name Satan, you see, means accuser. He is always pointing to our sins. He wants us to feel hopeless, to feel far from God, to feel racked with guilt and shame. And that's where the Lord Jesus' advocacy comes in. In the courtroom, Jesus reminds the accuser that we have been redeemed, that there is no condemnation for those who have put their trust in Jesus. And not only is Jesus advocating, he's doing that whenever we sin, but at all times, he is interceding for us. Now, lots of words in the English language have inter at the beginning. Uh, when I asked someone if they could think of one, one of the ones they said was Inter Milan. Um, that's not one of the ones I was thinking of. Um, if you're thinking of inter- intercept, um, that means um, something has been taken while traveling between two people. Or international uh, is an agreement between two nations. It means uh, something between. So what about intercessor? Well, we have the fact that it means between. Inter means between. But what about what does cessor mean? Well, cessor is about going. So an intercessor literally means someone who is a go-between. And that's what the Old Testament priests were doing. They were going between Israel and God. But they were merely a, a foretaste of what Jesus was going to do perfectly. This is what it says in, in Hebrews. Hebrews is the, the best commentary that you can read on the Old Testament. Uh, it says, but he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. You know, having Jesus as an intercessor means that he stands on our behalf. And that, that means he's praying for us. And boy, do we need it. And he prays in the same way as he prayed for Peter when he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is still very much at work. The book of Acts is short, isn't it, for, for a longer title. It's, the, it's longer title is, uh, if you've got it in your Bibles, open in front of you, is the Acts of the Apostles. But uh, the first verse of this book tells us who this book is actually about. In my former book, uh, Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, the book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus was doing in the Gospels. And uh, it might be the Acts of the Apostles that we see 
uh, with our eyes in, uh, in the book. But if you look at Acts 7, uh, Jesus is seen by Stephen. Acts 9, he's seen by Paul. Acts 9, he's seen by Ananias. And Acts 22, he's seen by Paul once again. You see, Jesus is at the center of this book. Yes, it's the apostles who are preaching and performing miracles. But Jesus is very much present. They are doing all of these things for Christ and through Christ. He is working through the church. And he is still at work today, isn't he? He is praying for us. And he is advocating for us when we stumble. Fourthly, uh, the disciples, uh, had it not been for the ascension, would not have left Judea. Look at verse uh, 8 it is. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Uh, One of the uh, huge implications and consequences of Jesus' ascension is that this very church exists today. Uh, Wales has a very proud Christian heritage, doesn't it? Of revivals and great preachers. But 2,000 years ago, the church in Wales didn't exist. The gospel hadn't reached these shores. But when Jesus ascended, his spirit emboldened disciples to obey his command and spread. And they went into the rest of the world. And the Bible tells us where they went. They went to Samaria and they went to Turkey and they went to Greece and Malta and Italy. And then the record of the Bible stops there, but we read in other history books in the first hundred years of the Christian faith that the believers of the, of the gospel went to Spain and Egypt and India and Sri Lanka and Algeria. And within another 50 years, there were Christians in Portugal and Morocco. And after that, it spread to France and Austria and Switzerland and Belgium. And 300 years after Christ had ascended, there were Christians here in Britain. The good news about Jesus wasn't just for one group of people. It's for the whole world. And that's why we find Christians in every continent. Heaven will be full of people from all nations worshipping Jesus. But it's only through his ascension and his lordship and his sending of the Holy Spirit that we are here today worshipping. Wales was once a pagan Celtic nation. Uh, The Celts had uh, many gods and goddesses um, associated with with warfare and agriculture and hunting and fertility and healing and other aspects of life. Uh, But something happened. The Great Commission was obeyed. Jesus went up and the church went out and lives were changed forever. But there are still unreached places today which are waiting to receive the gospel. So we need to pray, don't we, that God would raise up men and women, even from within this room, to go out and share the good news. Whether it be in our homes or our workplaces, or maybe even overseas. And fifthly, and finally, um, if Christ had not ascended, he would not be able to return. And we would not be able to join him. Uh, Lastly, uh, the fact that Jesus is in heaven means that we have an anchor to hold on to. We have a forerunner which shows that someone of flesh and blood 
can exist in the heavenly realm. You see, Jesus didn't cease to be human once he had reached heaven. No, there's a, there's a man in heaven now. Uh, there's a Scottish preacher uh, called John Duncan, and he puts it like this. The dust of the earth sits on the throne of heaven. And that's good news for us, because he's the first to go, but he leads the way so that one day we will follow. And we read these words in Hebrews 6. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. We have someone who's blazed the trail for us, showing us where we are headed. And we hold on to this truth as an anchor. While we have to face the difficulties of today, it is good to know that we're connected to someone who has gone beyond and that we will one day follow. Uh, when a team of, of climbers are scaling a difficult rock face, they don't send the worst climber up at, ahead, do they? They send the best climber, the most experienced one in the group. And he will attach uh, what is called a lifeline to the top of the, the cliff face. And uh, that means uh, that this lifeline can be held onto by the rest of the team. And they know that uh, someone else has, has put it in place for them. And that if they hold fast to this lifeline, that they will also reach the top, even if they fall. And Jesus Christ has done this. He's made the ascent to the summit of glory and has secured a lifeline for the rest of us. And he's announced our coming and is making preparations for our arrival. And when he was comforting the disciples on that last night, what did he say to them? He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So we've got a man in heaven who is our anchor and our forerunner, who has prepared a place for us, who has made a way for man to be joined with God for eternity. This is what another theologian uh, said on the ascension. It's, it's wonderful. With the incarnation, the eternal joined the temporal. With the ascension, the temporal joined the eternal. And the Lord Jesus is coming back. As I finish, let's look at verse 10 and 11 again. Um, what the angel says is this. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. But I have a challenge for those who don't yet see Jesus as Lord. If you are sceptical or unsure or angry towards God, if you're hesitating or procrastinating in coming to him, the Bible tells us plainly that every knee will bow, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Will you not come and make that confession today while you can? Everyone is going to see that Jesus is Lord one day. But for some, it will be too late. They will run to him and say, yes, I see you as Lord. 
And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. So why are you putting it off? Why not call him Lord today? Acknowledge that only Jesus can save you from your sins. He is not only Lord, but a friend who prays for you and is an advocate who defends you. He is the one, the only one, who we can depend upon.